Um, we were joking that this is Lisa and her friends. Uh, it sounds like it ought to be a band, but it's actually three men whose ministries I have come to appreciate. And so um, I just want to start and ask them, would you each just describe a little bit of what you do and how you were involved in mission? That would be why I have you in the chair today. With me. We'll start with you, Michael. All right. My name is Michael Mahoney. I serve here as Grace Church. We, I'm the executive pastor, serving over all the administration of the church. Um, <coughs> my mission experience, basically, uh, before being in Grace Church, I was involved very heavily in music evangelism. So I was involved in music ministry where I was training young people in evangelism using music as a tool to help with that process. I, I got involved in missions through them because I traveled to nearly 67 different countries uh, using that uh, platform. That's when music missions really got into my system because I saw missions in action. Uh, I ended up marrying um, my wife from Guatemala. We ended up serving on the mission field in Chile. And so um, missions has just been a part of my life from since I was in Bible college, really. And so I just, that, that's where my passion is. That's where my heart is. That's where um, my heart beats the strongest is in the area of missions because of all of that. Darren. My name's Darren Beck, and my wife and family, we serve in Cambodia. And we've been there since 2002. Um, I'm fresh off the plane, uh, literally. He came dragging in all of his suitcases <laughs> with him. So <laughs> Only a missionary would do that. That's right. <laughs> um, I, 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 I've been involved with missions uh, for 28 years now, uh, both on as a field missionary and as a missions pastor. Um, so for those, most of you probably work in the local church, thank you for your ministry. Um, you're a blessing, and I understand at least a little bit about both sides. Um, though I have to go back and say that it was my mother uh, when I was 12 years old, um, I had aspirations of replacing Magic Johnson on the Lakers. Um, and it didn't occur to me that um, I probably wasn't going to be that kind of basketball player, but as a 12-year-old, um, I, I was not to be held back. And she says, no, I'm going to pray that you and your brother are missionaries. And uh, we, we laughed at her then, but uh, here I am, and I really believe that we're the fruit of of her prayers, so um, it's just it's it's a blessing to be here. Thank you for having us. And I'm Jared Burkholder. I was a missionary kid in Mexico City for eight years. My parents were there for ten, involved in church planning and theological education. So I was on the missionary kid side of receiving teams, with uh, all the good that comes with that, and not a little of the bad uh, as well. Uh, I did get to go on one short-term mission trip when we came back to the states. I went to the Bahamas. And that was a joke, um, but I felt like I'd done my time as a missionary kid, and it felt okay to go to the beach. It's your SDM inoculation. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it was really something. And uh, I serve as the missions pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, and so now I get to be on uh, the mobilization side, sending out long-term partners, and then also sending out uh, teams every year. So again, I'm glad to be here today. I think there's still time to join the Lakers, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I've seen him play. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, he's actually coaching uh, uh, junior high girls? Boys. Boys. Okay. Yeah. I was just in Cambodia last month and had the delight, actually in, in January, had the delight of seeing Darren in his natural element. And so it was, uh, was really fun to see his family there. And Darren has actually served as a host for three of my missions teams from the college. 
So he's, uh, he's been on the receiving end of some of the training that, uh, that I just worked through with you. Um, but let me ask you this. When a team comes, all three of you have experienced this in different, in different parts of your ministry. When a team comes, what impact does it have on your ministry? Let's start there. Um, you get this team of 10 people from the states. Maybe they're part, maybe it's uh, half adults, half college students or, or teenagers. What kind of impact does your ministry experience, your schedule, logistics, et cetera? And then we'll, we'll um, talk about the impact on your family after this. So impact on your church or on your ministry. I think for me, when I was, we received short-term ministry teams when I was a missionary in Chile, our philosophy was we did that not because, and this just to shoot really straight, we didn't do it because the team was going to be such an amazing assistance to us. We didn't need them. We really didn't. It interrupted our schedule, high maintenance. Um, I mean, I had a lady one time was on a short-term mission stream, came out and said to me, is it safe to use the soap in the bathroom? And I just frankly said, no. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just such a beyond belief question. You just have to say, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> so we knew, so we didn't accept short-term mission teams because we needed their help, even though they helped. It's not like we couldn't use them. We did it because we had a philosophy that we wanted to instill within every person we could get into that country and around our ministry a heart for missions, a heart for people, a heart for evangelism, a heart to reach the world for Christ. And we knew we could do it better if we could get them out of their home country and into the country where we were serving and challenge them and inspire them and give them experiences they could never get anywhere else and send them back then to infect the church with that same mission spirit. And that's, wha that's what actually brought us such great joy. It was hard. It didn't disrupt our schedule. It was hard to do the housing, hard to do the travel, hard to figure out the food. Um, but we knew that the purpose behind it made all of that hardship so worthwhile because our purpose was so much bigger, so much more important. And so we just wanted to get as many teams as we could in in order to accomplish that purpose. And frankly, I think that was a huge blessing to be involved in short-term ministry. Now, did they help and were they? Of course, of course. But the reality is short-term mission teams, um, it, it in, a, in a lot of ways, you know, they just need to be inspired. They need to see missions in a new way. They need to have a heart for missions. They need to be inspired to bleed, to think, to, to eat missions. And they're not getting that in their local church. They're not. We've now been, we now have raised a generation of young people who are unwilling to sacrifice anything for the gospel. They're unwilling to sacrifice anything to reach their neighbor for Christ. And so we have to take advantage of every opportunity we can in a culture and a generation of young people who are unwilling to sacrifice and unwilling to consider their life for the gospel. And we have to do what we can to combat that and do what we can to change that. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's a big impact. And so to the question, uh, uh, because it, it, it is an interruption in our schedule and in even in our ministry patterns uh, to a certain degree and certainly for our families. So uh, on one hand, uh, it, it's an interruption and on the flip side, there's a certain amount of anticipation that comes with it, and part of this is our stage of life. Um, our teenagers, I've got four, um, they, they love when short-term teams come, um, and so that, that should speak to the impact that you have at least as you come. 
and, and minister to families as missionaries. Um, but uh, yeah, undoubtedly, um, there's, there's a factor that says we believe in short-term missions, and we believe on the, in the impact not only in our context, but uh, in the kingdom of Christ. And so we're committed to it, and we take that as our sacrifice of giving to them. Yeah, and echoing that, my we would tell the uh, teams that when they came is that you you might have come here with the savior complex, but you're actually in the way this week, and so I, we think you need to know that on the front end that uh, we're not relying on you to kind of uh, march the kingdom forward in a way that we haven't been able to until you showed up for five days. But um, we love you as a supporting church, and so one of the ways that we partner together actually goes back to you guys. It's not just you guys sending funds; it's it's us helping shape kind of the culture um, that's going on in your own church, and, and my dad's not much of a salesperson, he's a pretty quiet guy, but um, when, right before every team would leave, we would take him up to a, an overlook in Mexico City, and he would just kind of talk about the number of people there, and the number of churches, and the need, and God actually used that to lead uh, the coworkers down, they were actually the pastors that brought their youth groups or their churches down, and they actually ended up coming, and so statistically, it's not a great recruiting tool overall. Um, but in our family's life, God actually used that to bring really substantive coworkers that were impactful in our ministry. I think on the sending side now, I, I think it really depends on the kind of ministry that they're doing. So if you're doing church planning work, there's not a lot that a, uh, someone who doesn't speak the language or understand the culture can do. But sometimes there's other ways they can come and, and actually feel like they're bringing value and do good work as well. Uh, let's stick with you for a second, Jared. Uh, you were an MK and you know what it's like to have hosted teams who come in. What's that like as an MK with teams coming in? Good, bad, and the ugly. I, I'll just tell a story before, uh, before we do that. Uh, we had some, some friends here at Grace Community um, who serve overseas, we'll just say in Africa, and they had told a missions team coming in, um, the, the team had asked, what kind of foods do you miss? And so they said, we miss Pop-Tarts and root beer. And, uh, and so they, the team brought over Pop-Tarts and root beer for these teenage missionary kids. And man, they were ex like the kids were excited. They're like, man, we haven't had root beer in three years. And here it is, it's sitting and we're gonna save it for something that's really special, somebody's birthday or something. And uh, the team, meanwhile, did not enjoy the food that they were eating and that was being fed to them. And they got tired of the repetitiveness of eating cornmeal all the time. And so one night they had jet lag and they were awake in the middle of the night and they were hungry because they didn't like cornmeal. And they said to themselves, ah, we brought Pop-Tarts and root beer over. Let's go eat that. So the team went into the pantry, ate the Pop-Tarts and root beer and left the trash on the table. And the missionary kids found the trash when they woke up in the morning. And I'll tell you, it about destroyed them. So that's just one kind of silly example of some of the impacts that teams can have on missionary families. But tell us what that was like for you as an MK receiving teams. Uh, Swedish fish. It was Swedish fish for me. Swedish fish. And Mountain Dew. Dude, yeah. I would have protected you from both of those I always things. got so sick after they came, brought five-pound <laughs> bags. Um, you know, it's funny. I think sometimes when you look back, you kind of remember either all the good or all the bad. And I mostly just remember the bad. I know there was a lot of good. I know it was fun to have uh, people come and, and to meet a lot of friends, but as I look back, especially as I entered junior high and early high school, I was the, the stereotype of a disaffected missionary kid who didn't know who I was or what I was doing. I was really confused culturally. 
uh, wasn't a believer but knew how to play the game. I mean, it was a, a pretty toxic mix of, uh, of things going on. And so when American teams, particularly student teams, would come down, they kind of brought American toxicity, and it just wasn't a good, wasn't a good mix. So there, there, were, there was a lot of clickishness, and the popularity games would go on between myself and some of the people in our church and these students. Um, and I, I think as a result, now being on the, the mobilization side, of just not vetting people and preparing them well enough to help them understand actually what's going on. This was earlier on. This was early on in the 90s when short-term teams weren't as developed as they are now. And so we had you know, churches and Christian schools sending people on senior trips. And so they were expecting something different. They would complain about the accommodations. They would complain about the food. There wasn't enough sightseeing. Um, they were really upset that they, you know, we were asking them to do things. Um, so as I look back, I, I think part of it was cultural, but, but it was them bringing kind of the, the toxicity of America down and having it be part of our family, almost like they were bringing American diseases that we weren't accustomed to and infecting us with that, except it was kind of the, the social ills that were going on in their church. So, yeah, as I look back, it wasn't a positive experience. It wasn't a positive experience at all. I, I just remember uh, one story. I remember we'd had a whole summer of teams because we would usually have them in the summer. It was about six or seven, which was more than we normally took. And uh, I was at sixth or seventh grade, and I just remember breaking down and sobbing in my dad's arms and saying, I, I was so confused by everything that was happening. And uh, I was telling Lisa, that's kind of the point that we backed away a little bit because it did take a big toll, not just on me, but on our family. You know, our, our parents were gone. In addition to the pressure of ministry, now they were having to accommodate Americans. And so, um, yeah, as I look back, it wasn't a positive experience for me or for, for my family. I mean, aside from the coworkers coming. Um, and that's absolutely shaped how, how I think about mobilizing and sending teams now. I don't want to ever inflict any of that on our partners. I want it to be a good experience that, that they're excited about and, and benefit from. One of the things we do is we begin praying at the beginning of our training process that our missionaries would mourn when the team leaves because we want them to be that positive that the, that the missionaries actually feel like they're losing good friends as the team comes back to the States. Uh, because, I mean, the reality is it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to host. Think of what it would be like, and some of you maybe have had this happen to you, uh, especially those of you who are international. Think of if you had a friend, uh, say I have a friend who lives in, in um, Malawi, and she calls and says, hey, um, the third week of May, I'm going to bring 10 of my uh, church members from Malawi, and we're going to come and do a vacation Bible school for your, for your church. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, where are they going to stay? How do I get them from the airport? My car only holds four people. Oh, no, I'm going to have to rent a car. I don't have enough pillowcases in my house. These people don't even speak English. Wait a second. My church does its own VBS. What are we going to That's what we're talking about, right? So it's, it's the, the receiver who, who ends up saying, well, wait a second. That's why when we were talking about it, we're talking about field-driven uh, trips, asking for, um, asking for folks who have specific skills to meet those needs. Oh, let me ask you this. Let me change, change tactics a little bit. Oh, Darren, I, I did want to ask you. You said you have four teenagers on the field, one of whom tried to weasel a cell phone out of me while I was there. <laughs> I know which one that was. Yes. <laughs> He says to me, now, now, Lisa, what do you think about cell phones? 
if that isn't a loaded question, I don't know what is. I'm like, I think whatever your father thinks. <laughs> uh, what's that, that was like? the right answer, by yes, the way. <laughs> <laughs> what's that like for your uh, for your kids? Um, you guys are in a, a developing scenario, and life's a little harder some days. What are some of the challenges that you face with your kids when the team's coming in? Um, you know, I, I have to say, um, I, I, I'm, I won't apologize, but I, we've had an overwhelmingly positive experience with short-term teams. And so I don't have these horrible, I mean, I, my kids might be able to, to address it differently. Um, so by and large, because I think that we, uh, we vet the teams on, on our end and the expectation of, of the teams coming, like from the Masters University, we know what we're going to get for the most part. And they're unique, and they each are individuals, but uh, they're ready to go when they hit the field. And by and large, they're, they're a blessing to the ministry and our family. Um, I think for our kids, uh, they would probably say that the thing they wrestle with is um, it's having teams in our home uh, or in our ministry, uh, it does spark some of that cultural distance that they feel. Uh, that's not the team's fault, by the way. Th there's nothing that you could do. And what bridges that gap usually um, is when the teams are prepared to minister to our kids. And I'll use TMU as an example because when they come, without exception, they're taking time to look our kids in the eye and say, hey, tell us about your school. Tell us about your friends. Tell us about your, your desire to, you know, why do you want a cell phone? <laughs> Not just any cell phone. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we want the iPhone X or, you know, uh, yes, in Cambodia. <laughs> it's a global community. <laughs> Somebody's got the newest and latest and greatest uh, technology. And so... And that really helps. And so I would think our, our kids would say they feel this cultural distance from what is supposed to be their home culture. And they know as a TCK that, well, I, I don't know anything about my home culture. I mean, I know about it, but um, I feel that distance and I miss it. And that's weird. You know, being a teenager is weird anyway. <coughs> so I any additional weirdness just compounds that. And so sometimes I think they interact with that. But good short-term teams can really help anything you'd like to add on that Michael um, I just think uh, I I think training a team is really important in sending a short-term team and I don't know why you're in the session because you're gonna receive or you're gonna send them but probably both is are here the key is always the leader of the team that's always the key the, the team will never rise higher than the leader so if the leader has the right attitude if the leader has the right mindset if the leader has the right heart the team will reflect that so I think what I would say for our philosophy of ministry here at Grace Church as far as short-term ministry teams is, is we focus on the leader and make sure that the leader is trained, the leader has everything in order, and then he's going to pass that on to the team, and then the team's going to become a blessing so that we do exactly what he's talking about, that we go and bless the family and we bless the, the, the people that we are going to minister to. That's so critical. And from a missionary part in receiving is I also then wanted to train the people from my church where I, I we would that we would be receiving them how to receive an American team so that we could be a blessing to them too. How do how do you how do you help them have a better experience? How do you help them? Some of the Chileans who actually received ended up becoming missionaries. A couple of them are, are serving in Ecuador and Peru as missionaries from Chile. Many of them would go back and say it's because of being exposed to short-term missions teams that would come to my home country and inspired me in missions. So I mean. It, 
it's just an amazing thing that happens if it's thought through correctly and as a, as a receiving end, how do we receive a team and also how do we make sure that the leader of every team is very prepared because I think if we have in this coming summer, we have 21 teams going out from our church to somewhere around the world. I just tell you, if I know who the leaders are, I can take them out of their team and just watch the team. I could tell you who the leader is. Easy. Because the team reflects the leader. If I know the leader, I could pick his team. So you've got to invest in your leaders and help them become everything that you need them to be in order to train up. You know, we'll have over 200 people go out of our church in short-term missions this summer. And so we have a big job because we have 200 people we have to train. It has to be done through the leaders because we can't personally train 200 people. I mean, we'd love to do that, but the leaders are going to be the ones that do that. They're going to train them. What is fundraising? How do you raise missionary support? They need to get an experience of that. What is it to go and serve? What is it? The, the biggest word in missions is flexibility. Nothing ever goes as planned, and nothing ever goes how you hope it will go, ever. And if that bothers you, don't go to the mission field. Just don't do it. Why would you take that to the mission field? That's just exporting American toxicity. And so, you know, the, the flexibility, the, the ability to, you know, roll with the punches, you know, the, the ability to be late and let that be okay, eat anything set in front of you and you're okay with that. You have to train people because they don't naturally think that way. And, and then you have to also train, retrain our home church that was receiving these short-term mission teams how to receive these college students or high school students or young adults that are coming down to be a part of our ministry and, and how do we help them receive a blessing from what we have to offer. So I think it's just, you have to have a well-rounded approach and then I think God honors it and will bring a great amount of blessing to both sides of the equation. Uh, one of the things that I've experienced as we've been sending teams is that oftentimes our students in their 20-year-old wisdom uh, find areas of disagreement with the philosophy and sometimes even theology with which you as missionaries are working on the field. What would be a good way to help uh, train those students if there is something they disagree with to, to come? How, how, how would you like them to come and talk to you about that? Um, what, what might that look like? What's the question again? If they disagree, if with, they the disagree with you, how should they come and talk to you about that? Oftentimes, young students or, or students who have a lot of theological training um, will have very different opinions about how things should be done. So what's the best way for them to come and talk to you about that? Well, I think the most important thing that I would say is you got to do question and answer sessions with your people, whether you're receiving a team. I mean, if I had a team coming and I was a missionary somewhere today and I had a master's university team coming, I would just like on the front end, in the middle, at the end, I would just sit with them and talk to them and have an open-ended, anything goes, let's talk. What, where, where I want to know what they're thinking because then I can scratch where they're itching. If I don't know where they're itching, I can't scratch there. And so th th there's going to be a problem. And I want them to be able to vocalize where they might have a difference, where they might have a disagreement, where they might have a question, where they might have a doubt because that's where they're going to get it worked out, and I want to be a part of helping them work it out. I want to have an influence in that process. I don't want to just get mad that they think different. I, don't want, I would rather have a group of people that are very free to open up and tell me where they disagree, where they have a doubt, where they have a question, because then I know I've got somebody that's willing to really work through it. I don't like the passive-aggressive, where you never know what they're thinking, they never vocalize anything, they always have a hidden agenda. You can't help them. That's just pride, hidden under a sky, you know, a disguise of 
you know, whatever it is. But I, I just think th the thing that you have to do is have a just an open communication so that you can know what they're thinking. And then you do it because you want to have an influence in the process of them developing their thinking. And 21-year-old, 20-year-olds are in the process of developing their whole life, their whole understanding. And I don't expect them to have it figured out. If they've got it figured out, I probably don't want them because, it, you know, they don't need me. I want to be a part of figuring it out and helping them process that in order to get them to where they need to go and be a part of that. To me, I find that incredibly, um, I, I for me, that's I just, I just love that. I'm not ever, doesn't ever bother me when I get young people that have a question, a doubt, a disagreement. If, if they're respectful and they can express it, I'm right there with them. I'll help them through it any day of the week. That's what turns me you know, uh, the passion on in me in helping young people. I love that. And to me, that's a huge challenge, and the fruit of it is amazing. If you have teachable young people, the end is always good. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. For me, I'm invigorated by, um, by minds that are questioning, developing, and I think that's part of our what we support in short-term missions is taking what they understand, if they're coming from school especially, uh, their systematic theology, their biblical doctrine, and, and helping them live out practical theology within the context of a unique culture or language in a different place. Um, I usually divide the groups up into two, two broad different kinds of teams. Uh, students tend to uh, want to interact. Um, typically, if you don't have students, if you have older, either young adults or even uh, adults, um, they usually don't aren't critical of your methodology or your theology, but they may be critical of the culture itself. I don't like this. Uh, so one of the things we do with all our teams is every day we sit down with them at the end of the day and say, what do you guys think? Uh, and for me, um, I, I'll always say there is never a bad question, and you can ask me any question that you want. Nothing's sacred. We have no sacred cows. We, we try to kill them as often as we <laughs> need to. And uh, we want to be here as, 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 as a sounding board for you. Um, so that's big for us. That's a big part of that process is um, helping them and making sure they know that, hey, you can ask anything you want. If we don't agree with something, raise your hand. Not in the context with our national colleagues because they won't be able to interpret that. But at the end of the day, you have a place in a forum to do that. Yeah, and as we send teams, for me, it's really critical that I know and trust that partner. So I know how they're going to answer those questions, and I trust the way that they're doing ministry. And I love uh, that I trust that the partner's going to respond well to that. And that's what we want, right, is to communicate to our team members, yeah, you're going to step into a, a context that's very different. And so you need to go with a questioning heart, not a critically questioning heart, but uh, going in and asking, what is it like to do gospel ministry here? What are the challenges that exist? And then to go and ask those questions in a way that's seeking to learn rather than to challenge, right? Because I don't want to send anyone who sees it as their job to go and challenge our, our ministry partner in a foreign context. I do want to send people who love the gospel and love the church and are eager to go and learn, what are some ways that you do ministry here that might look a little bit differently? That's especially true like in a Middle Eastern context, right? Where for security concerns and a lot of other reasons, yeah, things are going to look super different. And so to go and say, I saw that you did this, help me understand why you did it that way. So I think as we train and, and recruit and even vet people, that we want people who are eager to learn, uh, but to learn in an encouraging, help me understand so I can grow kind of way, as opposed to what you were saying. I have all the answers, and I would really love to, you know, to correct our missionary partners. We don't want that. So what I hear you describing is uh, hosting by discipleship. 
which is really uh, really what you're talking about, both in sending and in receiving, uh, is walking with students in a way that when they're done with the trip, they're more like Christ than when they started. Uh, and so that's a, it's a really encouraging thing for someone who's mobilizing to see our students come back with a greater heart for the church because of those conversations that you've walked with them through. Um, and it's always, a, it's always a delight to see them grow in those things. So let me do this. I, um, in just a minute, I want to open it up. If you have some questions for these gentlemen, I'd like to open it up. We have a roving uh, microphone. Uh, and uh, But I want to ask you one more thing. If you could give one piece of advice that you haven't already said, so you, none of you can say flexibility, what's one piece of advice that you would give to a missions team that would be coming to you? I'll, I'll just tell you a story while you're thinking about it. Uh, I asked this question in a forum in our institution at one point, and um, one of the, s one of the uh, missionaries said, uh, don't be afraid of lice. And I said, don't be afraid of lice. What's Really, how, how did that come up? Why is that your piece of advice? And she said, if you are not concerned about yourself, you will love people well. And in our context, when you love people well, it means you have lice at the end of your time. And uh, I know that to be true because I've received teams back from that field. And uh, I have on speed dial the hair queens. Y Actually, you can go ahead and yes, yeah, say it. That's also that's, that's when um, you come to Cambodia. Yes, Cambodia. The last two teams have come back with lice. And uh, I have on my uh, on speed dial the hair queens. So we just call them. They come in, clean everybody's heads, and we're all good. But that to to that missionary, that was a piece of advice to learn to love people, um, and it's at sacrifice. A little itchy. No lice never killed anybody. Right, but that was that was her piece of advice that I just have thought about every time I call the hair queens. So, what would be your piece of advice uh, to missionaries or to uh, teams coming? I want our teams to take the posture of a student. So I want them to be so excited. You know, as we train them beforehand, we're talking about missiology. We're talking about um, what Dr. Duran talked about earlier today, how ecclesiology shapes that. And so we want them to go and just have a ton of questions and have open eyes throughout and be asking questions and learning so that when they come back, um, maybe they can begin to think about how that not only shapes their, their global involvement, but also their local involvement. So as they go see partners doing things that we would probably never have started in the United States, but there's actually real value in taking some of those paradigms and applying them to how we do ministry here. That they've kind of had that posture, and so they come back more equipped, uh, not only to do do more effective ministry here in Southern California in our context, but then also to be a voice for that for the church, right? So if they take the posture of a student, not that they come back as a professor, but now they can be a resource in our church community to help other people who don't get to go on these trips think about what is God doing around the world? How can we get excited about that? How can we be more globalized Christians that are understanding and excited about those things? Oh, that's a good question. Um, this would be my stab at it. Um, we tend to think of missions not intentionally on a, uh, on a horizontal level. And so what I would, the, the advice that I typically give to people is, is whatever you do, come with a heart that just wants to love God. So turn it vertical um, because whether you're ministering in your local church or in your family, in your community, or around the world, um, the sweetest ministry uh, that's of the Holy Spirit is out of the overflow of our soul. And so what's the greatest commandment? 
love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and take it to Cambodia um, or Chile. And out of that, uh, as it's mixed and kind of filtered through all the training and good missiology and philosophy of ministry, um, I, I just think that's a can't miss. Um, never run into anyone who just loves Jesus with, with everything that they have, and they've had a rotten experience. Tough, yes. Stretching, absolutely. Uh, but, but not a bad one. I think I would just say to, and I, th I agree with the whole vertical issue. It's got to be directed toward the Lord, what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. This is all about, in essence, your relationship with him and what he wants to do in your life because of his experience. But I think you have to, you know, I, I would say to a group of young people, if I'm ready to send them out, if they're from the Masters University or wherever they're from, I would just say, this is one prayer you need to pray. Lord, I give you permission to put into my life or take out of my life whatever you deem necessary to help me be your man or your woman. You could pray that deep with your the greatest sincerity you have to the Lord. I give you permission to put in or take out, because He's going to. You're gonna have to love deeper than you ever loved. You're gonna have to sacrifice more than you've ever sacrificed. You're gonna have to give more than you've ever given, and your flesh is not gonna like it. They it just won't. And you're gonna get tired, and you're gonna get run down, and you're gonna get angry or frustrated or flustered or but you, you've got to go in knowing that, Lord, I gave you permission to put in or take out anything that would make me more like the man or woman you want me to be. And so, Lord, I gave you permission. Now I receive it as from you. Do your work in me. And then I think you would have a group of young people that would experience whatever comes down their path with a different perspective as seeing this is from God's hand. This is foreordained for me. And he picked me to be here at this time to, for this experience in order to get this worked out in my life so that I could be his man his woman uh, if they go with that they're going to come back and they're not going to they're going to talk about how they've been shaped godward you know the vertical relationship now is so strong and it's going to help them become a, a much stronger young man and young woman for whatever is down the path because that mission experience is not going to be the hardest thing they've ever experienced down the road is going to get harder and tougher and you want to start having the habit of just knowing the Lord is sovereignly in control, providentially bringing in and out of your life whatever it is necessary for you to become a reflection of his glory. Thank you. We have time for a few questions, if you have any out there. Love to answer them, either about the previous two sessions or, or something you heard here, something you've been dying to know about fields. If not, I have no questions. for spreading the gospel. Um, any of you could ask, answer this. How does a team help you? How, how does a team you receive help you practically? Whether it be babysitting your kids so you can go out into the field or washing your, cleaning your house. I, I want to know, how do they help you? Well, I, I'll answer or take a stab at it with as a field missionary. Um, the most practical way is that they bring something to the field that uh, helps equip or contribute to the local church or the ministry that we're um, involved with that, that we can't or that someone else can't. So, um, you know, Lisa mentioned uh, the, the VBS. You know, everybody wants to come to Cambodia and run a VBS. Um, even though the Cambodian church is a first-generation church, they can do VBSs. Uh, so when people say, hey, this is what we're going to do, we say, well, how about let's, let's look at what your skill set is. What can you do? Uh, 
and so we're looking for something that they can contribute uniquely. That's a, a huge benefit. Um, and sometimes it's not that you don't have to have a, a PhD in, in uh, you know, some discipline or even necessarily uh, be a seminary professor. Uh, might be something very practical, but we want to put you in a, in a place where you can contribute to what God's doing in the kingdom. I think for us here at Grace Church, what we're trying to do, because we have 100 families serving around the world somewhere, um, so what we want to do is take a, a, I guess, a portion of Grace Church and take it there so that the people where they're serving get, get an experience of what Grace Church is all about because that's what they're all about. The, the ministry, the missionary is Grace Church, and we've been supporting them. We love them, and now we want their home field to get a taste of the hospitality of Grace Church, the love of Grace Church, uh, the commitment of Grace Church to pray, to serve, to love, uh, to just be a part of being a blessing, whatever that means. You know, and we talked to him about, you know, when you go in the home, that's why you have to eat everything that's set in front of you and you do it with a smile. It doesn't matter how it tastes. That's the word. You know, who cares? I mean, if you can't do that, don't go. You know, we've discouraged people from going because they just are high maintenance. And, and that's just the, they're just not ready yet for a mission experience because you just have to be. So I would say our, one of the things for me is, is I want our missionaries to receive teams because they know that the people they serve, the nationals, are going to get a taste of what Grace Church is all about. That's very important to us, that they get a flavor of the love of Scripture, the love of God, the love of His church, the love of loving one another and serving one another. That's so critically important because then it helps them as they're trying to teach the nationals in their home church what the church is all about, what's the attitude, what's it like to serve, what's it like to be a part of our church. And we get to take a piece of it to there for even 10 days, a week, two weeks, whatever it is. We had a couple other questions. Here. There's a microphone for you. So wh what is one of your favorite moments in ministry? I love when teams come back and, and what we hear is just what's been described here that uh, I saw God working in ways that, that I didn't expect. And as I've come back and been back this week or two, I've actually been more awakened to see him doing that same kind of thing here. Uh, I think we just kind of get in a rhythm in the United States that there's, there's emails and there's text messages and there's TV shows to watch and we're in traffic and whatever. And I think sometimes going out of the country can just awaken people um, to what God is doing all over the world. And I think for people to come back and have a fresh eyes to see God at work in their life, in their family, in their church, in their community, I, I think that's really exciting. Somewhat selfish, but um, I love when short-termers come, and then years later, uh, they return to the field long-term. And so we have a TMS grad who is getting ready to, to launch to <coughs> Cambodia over the summer, and that just, man, that is so, so exciting and fires me up. For me, my first short-term mission team that I took to the country, I ended up serving as a missionary. I met a young man named Boris uh, from a small town in Chile. We became friends. And that relationship um, God allowed to continue. Um, today he serves as a pastor in Chile. Um, that, that just for me was a highlight for me. That I could see a young man in a country where I just went as a short-term mission, probably a high-maintenance kid when I went. But I developed a friendship and I just we remained friends through the years. And now he's served as pastor. He's been here to Shepherd's Conference. Um, he loves Christ. He's, 
he's um, in our Spanish Expositors Institute taking all the online courses he can just to be a better pastor. Now trying to bring his other elders to Shepherd's Conference and expose them more, t- more to the truth. I love that. That's probably one of my, he's a highlight to me. We, we will be eternally friends, and I'm grateful for that. And part of that is faithfulness, right? I think w- when I ask missionaries a similar question, I say, what's one thing that discourages you about short-term teams? Often, it's people who came and served beside you, but then who went home, and two years later, you hear they're not at church anymore. They're not walking with the Lord. That's one of the most discouraging things in ministry. Um, but the encouragement is actually seeing that faithfulness over a long time and seeing the Lord work um, through that. So I'm, I'm going to share one of my moments because I just had one in January, visiting in Cambodia, standing with one of my students who has chosen a very difficult route, a tough ministry. He's living in a little 10-foot square apartment, loving Jesus because he wants his neighbors to come to know the Lord. And seeing that faithfulness in action in a tough spot is just a real delight. And it's what keeps us going, I think, day in and day out, of knowing that because, because we're faithful, they're, they're faithful because of their love of the Lord, and other people come to know him as a result of that. And that's just it's a real delight to be in that ministry. I think we have one question over here, and then uh, I think we will have to be done so that we can get to the next session. So the microphone's coming to you. Thank you. Uh, How have you dealt with uh, a situation where there might have been some tension between the teams that come to serve with you, with the locals? Uh, Have you had that situation? How have you dealt with the situation? Secondly, the issue of food that might be strange to people who come, the teams that visit. How do you deal with that vis-a-vis the issue of uh, not offending the host culture? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you eat, like it's been said, you just eat whatever is put in front of you and you're really thankful about it. And um, if you don't do that once, then we're going to have a very serious conversation. You don't do that twice. We're going to put you back on a plane to the United States, and you'll never go on that trip again kind of thing. Um, I think in regards to understanding cultural differences, I want the teams that we send out to understand uh, certainly that in most areas, not all of them, but in most areas, we're, we're not talking about right or wrong. We're just talking about differences. And they need to be able to process that, and they need to go with the posture that I'm, I'm the outsider here. And so if you guys do things in a way that's different than me, then I'm going to accommodate myself to you for the duration of the time that I'm here. I'm not going to loudly proclaim for everyone that you guys have a, a skewed view of time or anything like that. I'm here as the outsider, and so I'm here to serve, so I'm going to accommodate myself to the culture. And I might not do that the same way back home, but I'm not home. I'm in your home, so I'm going to accommodate myself that way. All right. Let me just give you a couple other details. There are additional handouts if you were not here in the last session. Uh, there are handouts in the back, and uh, the uh, folks who are working with TMAI can help pass those out if you would like those. Uh, this session had a uh, resource sheet, and so if you have any questions about any of those resources, I'd be happy to entertain those questions. You have my email address at the bottom of the page. And gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us and providing practical experience on uh, receiving and sending. Really thankful for your service.
and for your ministry. So, um, Darren, can I just ask you to pray for these folks as they prepare to send folks from their church, and then we'll go to the next session. Father, we thank you for the blessing of being a part of the body of Christ, and we understand that you're doing your work in the kingdom all around the world, and I thank you that you've gathered us here, each person, uh, to participate in the way that you've called us, and I pray you'd give uh, each wisdom, discernment, uh, I pray that we would have the courage uh, to step out and do those things that you've called us to. We thank you for uh, for Lisa, for Grace Church, for Team AI, and for the vision that you've placed here. We pray that you would go with us uh, into the next session and the rest of the week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.